Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. I'm Florence Adu, your host, and today has been an interesting day because it's the winds were very cool, the sun was kind of in and out, and we had my first rainstorm, thunderous as it is, I just saw a spark of lightning, my first rainstorm of the season. So I think this might be officially the start of the raining season, and I think you might be hearing some thunder and lightning as we speak. So let's not call it a horror film today because we have a wonderful guest here that is a ray of sunshine, a ray of light. I really enjoy this young lady. She has upwards of 30 years of international development and enterprise experience with a concentration in NGO communities, working with organizations such as Afford, USAID, Remit Aid, DFID, and Comic Relief, just to name a few. She is currently an entrepreneurship specialist with MEST Africa and the Women's Entrepreneurship Day Ambassador for Ghana, where she mentors, trains, and empowers women and girls at all stages of their entrepreneurial journey. Toya Dania, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Florence. Yes, I'm so happy I'm to be so here. I'm so excited to be here. Great, 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 great. So Toyin, why don't we just jump right in? Tell us more about where you're from, where you're local, and what is your craft? Great. Thank you so much, Florence. I'm Nigerian. I've spent most of my life in the UK, but Nigerian parentage. And I decided to come to Ghana about seven years ago. And it's now been six and a half years that I've been here. And it's been an amazing journey. I particularly like being on the continent and I wanted to experience it for myself. So that's why I actually wanted to uproot and actually come and live and work here. Okay. Okay. So you did not grow up at all in Nigeria? I did primary one and two in Nigeria. And that's a very good memory for me because it was such an experience. And when I went back to the UK, it carried me through for so long about how to be in a classroom and how to learn. It took about three years to unlearn all of that because what is an African classroom and what is an English classroom are two different things. So having been in Nigeria and trying to be top of the class, trying to be being noticed by the teacher and being an exemplary student, coming to the UK, being the milk monitor and always putting my hand up first and answering all the questions and being shown to be knowledgeable was the complete opposite where I went to school in Pitsy, Bazardon in Essex. Well, people tried to bully me to sort of say, why are you trying to be the teacher's pet? What's the matter with you? You make us all look bad. You know, why do you answer so many questions? Like, well, because I know the answer. <laughs> and I right. show that I know the answer. Right. It was a completely, it was a culture shock that I didn't know at the time because I was so young. It was like seven in Nigeria till I was nine. Nine, it was very, very, um, it wasn't traumatic because my sisters were with me, but they were having different experiences. But the classroom was definitely my first initiation into the culture shock, having come back from Nigeria. And then coming back to Africa, the culture shock again as an adult is, was completely different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's interesting you say that about... Would you like to say something about that? 
Oh, no. Um, yeah. So it's interesting you say that about how you were cultured to strive for excellence. And then when you came back, that's still our mindset, right? So yes. in our own cultures, you strive for excellence. And then in other cultures, you also strive for excellence. But that you were bullied was so interesting because all we know is that we have to be better, right? As Black people around the globe. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But I was the only Black person in my school not just my class in my school when I came back to the UK okay that alone was a culture shock and I was bullied mercilessly but I'm not the type even then to be bullied so it didn't last long right (laughs) right 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 good for you I can imagine yeah I mean I dealt with them I went to the headmaster and told on all of them said you know why do they keep doing this to me who do they think they are if they don't stop I'm just going to have fights every day and I really don't want to yeah, yeah. <laughs> he yeah, looked yeah. at me and said, oh my gosh, what, what type of a student we got here? And then he did <laughs> a whole assembly about why I'm different and why they should look after me and why are people picking on me and they should understand that they're showing me their culture by being so mean and horrible and what they should be showing me is the best side of themselves and they should stop it. And if they don't stop it, they'll be punished and I should report to them anytime they do anything to me. And I thought my gosh, this is a whole junior school. I'm going to get beaten up. But then some of the biggest bullies came up to say, if anyone says anything to you, Tori, just let me know. I'll sort them out for you. And I'm like, really? Okay, you're not going to beat me up then? Okay, because I'll be ready to fight back. You know, you can yeah. beat me up, but I will definitely fight back. Right, you know, so right, right, right. To do it again. I'm, too much, I'm too much trouble for you to interfere with. I'm yeah. not going to lay back and let you hit. Right, um, right, right, right. But it really was... I mean, at that young age to have that and then to go home and say to my sisters, this happened. And for them to come back and say, oh, but this happened to me. Completely different from what happened to me, but a different side of the cultural re-immersion that we were going through. I was doing mine at junior school, a sister was doing it at infant school, and my sister was doing it at secondary school. All different Mm -hmm. stages of the education system Mm -hmm. in Essex, Mm -hmm. which is a predominantly working class area and a black person trying to be something special you know oh yeah they really didn't like it at all Mm. were there other people of color yes but just not at my school at my age okay got it got it so my sister had a couple in her year at school okay in senior school but when my sister was in school roots just came out and they were like oh my god you're kidding you know you're slaying and dealing with that oh wow yeah and she'd come home with all these stories and we were watching Roots and we were just fascinated by Roots. But then we knew we had to then deal with all of people's imaginings of black people sort of thrust upon us to explain everything. Yeah. And we weren't African-American. So that was not ever our experience right. or ever our family's experience. Right. That we were asked all these questions and made to seem like that was our life. And it's like, well, no, but then... I was with white foster parents and like, well, why are you with white people? Where are your parents? What did you do? What did you do wrong? And all these questions, and I'd go home and say to them, they think that I've done something wrong. That that's why I'm living with you. My parents just it's this thing that Nigerians did. In the send 60s, their children, yeah. 70s. Yeah. Send their children to yeah. England. And yeah. I was born in England. So they're sending me back to England. Yeah. 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 And so um, it was immensely at the time you just got on with it. But as you grow, you know that it's that muscle that's been tightened and worked out, etc. And you're ready. And I didn't want to fight all the time. I wanted to explain. And I think that's why 
I eventually went into coaching and mentoring because I'm not someone who always wants to fight or is aggressive. I will put my point across and you'll understand that I have something to say. But I really don't want to fight all the time. I haven't got time for it. I'm busy doing it. <laughs> right. So if you want right. to fight, go ahead and do that. You know, that's not my bag. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's funny talking about it. I haven't gone there for a little while. Thank you, Florence. Yeah, no. It's so interesting that you talk about roots because so I come being an African family, watching roots as a child as well. So I went to school and I went to a very mixed school. So it was more like the white kids weren't watching it, only the black kids were watching it. And so it was more the black kids who were like, Oh, okay, is your dad Kunta Kente? Yeah. So, I mean, I had different kinds of explaining and, you know, my skin is very dark. So they always, it just became a whole other thing. But again, I was smart and celebrated for that smartness. So I think that's the striving for excellence. I mean, even though teachers were often not willing to give me the support or the claim, I knew just because Mm -hmm. at home, excellence was what we were taught. So no matter what, whatever the teacher said, follow it, but know that you are as good as you, you know, you are. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I, you t- I really hear that. Thank you. Yeah. So I touched, you touched a little bit on your, your current craft. So tell us more about your craft. When you started the piece, you said that I worked for AFFORD and AFFORD is an acronym for the African Foundation for Development. And when I discovered them, it's like my African heart woke up. I'd gone to Nigeria for holidays and met up with my cousins and other siblings but I've never worked in Africa before. So I found the African Foundation for Development and they were talking to young people about going back and giving back and relocating to the continent and adding value and conversations that I'd never had before. And I've been with them for the past 20 years. When I investigated further, I really wanted to work with them. So they were working in development. And at the time, I was working in entrepreneurship training with uh, young entrepreneurs in Tooting, South London. And I was working in a hub uh, for 18 to 30-year-old young entrepreneurs. And I was using business coaching, mentoring, and training to help them unlock their entrepreneurship potential. And I found that I could use that, those skills for Afford because Afford needed those types of training courses for young people that they were trying to engage with and for projects that they were doing maybe in the UK to enable people to go back to the continent or for people to do it on the continent. And I came at a really good time because they were doing trade missions. Mm. So I did about seven of them in Sierra Leone, in Ghana, and one in Nigeria. And I just thought to myself, I am having so much more fun understanding how business works from an African perspective. And I couldn't give support and advice from the UK to an African business. So I kept the seed was planted that at some point I'm going to live on the continent, live and work on the continent. And that was planted by some really talented and exceptional people at Ford. That's why I still have a relationship with them today. So The first role they gave me, which meant that I'd left my incubator that I'd been at for 10 years to go and set up another incubator in Sierra Leone. And I did that for the African Business Center for Ford. And a really humbling experience because I've been going back and forward to Sierra Leone, but now I was going to live and work in Sierra Leone. And that was a different concept. Yeah, And it was really interesting to see what a post-conflict country, Sierra Leone and Sierra Leone not quite being the transition that I fit into well and 
I then chose Ghana. Okay, got it. So a trade mission was an interesting way to bring Africans in the diaspora together with the continent. So it was a two-week trip that was really about bringing uh, support from the UK, not we're coming to tell you what to do, which is how we explained the training course for people when we prepared them to come on these trade missions. It was really about we have some clients who would like us to mentor and coach them and train them. We're going to do these training processes for entrepreneurs. And your role is to support them. Some of them that came were entrepreneurs, some were financial people, investors, business development experts. There were a range of people that we targeted to come on these trade missions so that they could actually see and invest on the continent. So if you didn't feel you wanted to move back yet, then you felt that you could invest in a business that you've been working with. I also found a lot of people did not come back, especially when they came to Ghana. They loved Ghana so much. And a lot of the Ghanaian people who came on these trade missions literally went back to the UK and came back because what they saw was not what they heard in the press, not what they heard from relatives, etc. It was a completely different story. And that's what was really great about being on the ground. You hear things in the press that people want you to hear. Mm-hmm. People tell you what you want to hear, but there's nothing better than real hard experience being there on the ground, listening, being part of it, living, working, breathing to understand how a place works. Mm-hmm. So this ecosystem we came into was completely different. What we'd heard, you know, there's mansions here, there's houses with swimming pools here, there's people doing fantastic businesses And just like, why didn't we know this? You know, we've come to help. And it's like, gosh, you should help us. (laughs) We found out, you know, how much the diaspora in terms of remittances, et cetera. And these remittances were coming back to build houses. We're coming back to send people through to university. We're coming back to send people to different countries to go and get an education and then come back to the continent and make a difference. And these are all stories that weren't being told. Till you came to the continent and heard them for yourself and saw them for yourself. It was incredible. It was an eye-opener for me, but I would go back to my little world and nobody would mind me. <laughs> they would just be like, yeah, whatever, we're not going, thank you. But, you know, good luck if you want to do that. I've been here for six and a half years. Some of my friends have come, some family have come and been like, gosh, you've got a really good life. I'm like, yes, I do. I yeah. love where I live. That is actually the motto of, the complex I live on, love where you live, but it really is a different experience. My six and a half years here, if I equate it six and a half years in the UK, I can't tell you memorable things. I can tell you my memorable friends and experiences from that point of view, but professionally, I mean, we get invitations to the high commissions. We get invitations where we can be in the same room as a president. We get invitations where we're talking to decision makers on big projects like DFID and GIZ and all of these things where in the UK you wouldn't get those opportunities. Well, I know that I didn't get those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And being part of the consortium that I am now, which is a a European and an African project, is absolutely fantastic. But I would not, I don't think, have got this type of project if I was in the UK doing it the other way around. It's doing it from Africa to Europe that I've got this opportunity. And at the moment, we are um, an innovative space. So we're a... Oh, gosh, it's just gone out of my head. We're a digital <laughs> innovation hub, uh, Meltwater, and we deal with science technology, which are the go-to topics of our new normal. And we want to train some of our vulnerable adults to learn 
some of these wonderful new technologies so that they can actually be part of the new normal. Um, we're specifically targeting women because we want women to be part of this program and to be part of the global change that's happening because if you can't you don't have to write code but you have to know about IT to be able to get any type of a job in the future so we really want women to be part of that that story so 40% of my demographic will be women Mm -hmm. the project started in January and we've got it for three years and it's just amazing how much attention we've got for it because people really want to engage with us and we want to engage with people. But if you want, I can give you the website and all that. Other yeah, stuff. yeah, 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 definitely. So, so for our listeners, I just wanted to kind of emphasize. So the organization is, as you said, Meltwater Science and Technology, which is what MEST stands for, right? And yeah. so they are, I, yeah. I don't know if you all, maybe tell us a little bit more about Meltwater as this larger philanthropic science focused organization across the continent. I mean, I think they're global, but they do do quite a bit across the continent, right? Well, they do quite a lot. There's specifically the area I deal with is Africa. So we focus on Africa. It is a NGO that's funded in America, but it primarily looks for entrepreneurial ecosystem type of projects. Mm -hmm. So we're working with UNDP, we're working with MasterCard Foundation, we're working with my consortium now, which is called DigiLogic, Mm -hmm. and it's a combination of three European countries. We've also got digital innovation hubs Mm -hmm. in Finland, Italy, and Germany, and then we have two African hubs, MEST and Bongo Hive in Zambia. So MEST covers South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria and Ghana in terms of its coverage. And when they do call to actions, they ask entrepreneurs to come onto their programs and they can be in any of those countries and we'll support them. Okay. So primarily it's about support. We have a fantastic ecosystem that really works to connect and engage. It's full of stakeholders who are investors, innovators, creatives, and people new to innovation and technology who want to join the family in some way or another, which is to engage with us on one of our programs. Sometimes we specifically ask that you have been in business for a year. Sometimes we ask that you've been in business for two years. Sometimes we ask you have no experience at all. It depends on the project. Mm-hmm. But after 10 years, we know the types of projects that work for this clientele. And we're always innovating and developing so that we can make sure that our programs hit the mark. So this particular project focuses on logistics. So we've got the Africa Free Trade Agreement now coming on board. So that's really a good project to have at this particular time. Right. To work really close to them. And those negotiations are going on now. But it's really interesting that the free trade means Yes, we can trade wherever, but are people actually delivering on the ground? Can you go to a board and say, okay, this is the Africa Free Trade Agreement, section 612. I want to cross a border and I'm free to cross a border with my products and services. Let me through. And on the ground, it's different. So there's a lot of retraining, a lot of understanding that's going to be spread amongst the participating nations that this free trade will work on the ground as well. So why are we not trading with Senegal that's literally next door to us? Why are we not trading with Cameroon and all the other countries that are so close by? You'll find that some of these products have to go to Europe before they actually get to Africa because Mm -hmm. the infrastructure is not there. 
But why is the infrastructure not there? And why are we not as Africans looking for solutions for that? So this project is going to look at some of those solutions. We're going to have some challenges to look at solutions to some of the issues that are out there. And we're really looking forward to participating with our ecosystem. I'm trying to say not as little as possible, but enough because some of the information is still quite confidential. I Yeah, I was getting that sense. I was like, yes, like, but I at the same time, I can give you general, general yes. areas of it, but yes. in general are an enabler. They want to interact with the ecosystem that says, we want to be part of the next generation. We want to learn. We've got products and services we want to share. We want to get better at our businesses. We want to learn how to get access to some of these funds that are out there that investors are looking for. Yes, we want to be the big new thing, but at the same time, it takes the processes, the understanding of business, the patience, the tenacity, and the hard work and sheer determination to live out your entrepreneurial dream. And that's what MESS is about. We want you to have that with them. And we are on that journey with you. So I'm project managing this, but I also act as a mentor and a coach for them. So we're going to have some courses a little bit later on, and I'll be working on those. I've worked on particularly female-focused projects. I did a project that was all about women in tech, and it was just fantastic. And I'm still in touch with the girls now because I've really had a good time and I'm recommending them to other people for their solutions. It's just incredible how close you can get to people because everyone needs a big sister, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's in business. And that's really yeah. how I've always wanted to work. I don't want to be your boss. I don't want to be your lecturer. I want to be someone who's at your side. This business is yours. You've sure. got your vision, you've got your motivation, your objectives. I'm someone there to soundboard against. I'm someone to signpost you to somewhere where I know there's funds for your type of idea. I'm there to say to you, mm, I'm not sure about that. I don't quite understand that. So that you then refine it so it's understandable to the lay person mm-hmm. because that's who your customer is. Mm-hmm. They don't know all your jargon. You know the jargon. Let them hear the layman's terms. So they buy into your idea. They buy into you. Mm-hmm. They buy into what it is you have to offer. And that's the side of business I really like. And you find that everybody just needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. They need to know that their business idea has got sound put in so that if it's not, you've got some hard truths to tell people. Mm-hmm. And it's done in a way that helps them to grow rather than defeats them and helps them to give up on that dream. I'll never kill a dream for anybody. I don't care how big it is and where you are along the journey of achieving it. I will motivate you. And if I motivate you to go 1% of what you need to do, that was my job because I would never say to you, don't do it. I'll tell you to refine it. I'll tell you to maybe get some other partners on board that can help you move forward, but I'll never kill the dream for you. You will make that decision yourself based on what you do and don't have. Your business needs certain things and more water want to give you those processes. My whole experience has been about developing businesses and business people, as well as developing my own. And it's just very, very interesting watching flowers bloom, which is mm-hmm. how I like to see my clients mm-hmm. just blooming. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, they don't come from zero. They come from a starting point and you're part of their journey. But you're going to move on. They're going to move on. But hold a little bit so you can keep in touch with those ones and just see how they are in a year's time, two years' time. What happened? What did they do? They're still on the journey. 
Nice. I could so, talk to you all day about I know. I, I, I can tell. I can tell. I really like what you said about <laughs> you'll never be responsible for killing someone's dream because I think that's like mentorship 101, right? Because so many people beat up on people, but they just need someone to point them in a direction for them to make their yes, own decision, right? Like so so that they they own what it is in every aspect of it. So I think that's a wonderful Absolutely. place yes. to be. So speaking of, so I think you kind of covered my why the where question, but I want to put it in a little bit of a different spin because you spoke a little bit, a lot mm-hmm. about how you came to Ghana and being in Ghana. So, and you've just recently moved into a new place. So let me ask you, yep. in your experience moving to Ghana, the question is, how did you come to be living, working, and playing where you live? So tell us a little bit more about your journey over the six years of identifying what part of Ghana, Accra, Kumasi, where in Accra. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. Thank you. So when I came, I have traveled. I've been all over Ghana. And what I love is the vegetation and the scenery, the mountains, the waterfalls, the culture, the food, the dynamics. It's just incredible. And I have lasted because I only speak English, but I will invest in a tree course. <laughs> because I really think it would be a few things. I say hello, I say thank you, a fish apart at uh, Christmas time, but you know, I really need to make sure I can do a little bit better. Okay. But my journey here started in Tesamo. So when I first came, I was in Tesamo, which was a really nice suburb in Accra. Mm-hmm. And I was there for about a year. And then I moved to Cantonments, which is another nice area. And all of these areas were very central to where I was working and where I was networking and having my playtime. So they were quite nice areas. Then I moved to East Lagon, which was just my favorite space. I really liked East Lagon. It's vibrant. It was developing. So there was lots of uh, new homes. I was in apartments. I know in Ghana, apartments aren't very popular, but they're becoming so because there's a lot of people coming from out of town. But the area just had everything I needed. It wasn't too far away from the markets to get some of my products. It wasn't far from shops that reminded me of the UK. I could go and get my bacon and go and get my cheese and bits and pieces and then have my ketchup and Heinz baked beans and just little things remind me of home, but not that I wanted to go home because I was still going backwards and forwards to the UK to visit friends and family, yes. but I was still enjoying my contemporary and enjoying my yams and my jollof rice and the jollof wars. I'm Nigerian, remember? <laughs> so, and going out and about and eating local food and how much I pay for local food and going to the restaurants and seeing the difference that I was paying in restaurants thinking, I need to conserve some money here because Accra is very expensive. And I'm thinking in London, I have the infrastructure, I have ease of moving around, I have all these different benefits. But in Accra, it's traffic, it's noise, it's pollution, it's everything. But I loved it. And I'm like, I don't want to change it for anything. I didn't have a car when I first came. So I was having those wonderful experiences in taxis and being able to say, no, don't go that way, go this way. This way is better. And knowing where I was going and for them keep me and take me the the long way round. And then Uber came. Uber just made it so much easier because didn't really have road road names and stuff like that. So it was very difficult for me, but I got to know my area. 
Yeah, I got to know where I was. Yeah. But then Uber came to town and I would just be able to look out the window and say, yeah, we're going in the right direction. So, <laughs> Relax. Yeah. Make sure I was on the quickest route to make yeah. sure they weren't trying to scam me. Because they hear your accent. And this is another thing in Ghana. They hear your accent and suddenly the fare goes up 50%. It's yes. ordinary taxi. Yes. You can't do that in an Uber. The price is fixed. And you can control it. So I really enjoyed that. But just as Uber came in and I was enjoying all of that, I got a car and I thought to myself, I just want to be going around myself. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want stopping and starting and carrying everything with me if I was going to go out after work. And I just felt like the bag lady from Calcutta. I just had all these different outfits. and <laughs> Exactly. And I got fed up with it. I just got fed up with it because I'd have to leave it in the office and then right. I might come back and it wasn't there. Or I forget that I left it in the office. I mean, all these different things. So I just resolved to get a car. And that was the best thing. It was expensive. Very, Mm -hmm. very expensive. Mm -hmm. And I'll never do it again because the agreement that I made with the guys, if I liked the car for two years, I could buy it at a discounted price, like you do in the UK. Mm -hmm. But when it came to it, it was like, no, this is the price. Because they don't do depreciation here. It's like I put on a car $10,000. When I sell it two years, three years down the line, I'm going to get $10,000. No, you're not. It's depreciated. You need to get $5,000 or $7,000. Wow. And that concept is not here. So I'm really glad Volkswagen is building here and doing the the sort of pay-as-you-go so that you say, right, if you're going to pay for this car, okay, it's $10,000, but you pay for it. And if you then want to stop paying for it, you just give the car back and start again. Right, exactly. Like a proper lease structure. A proper yeah. system. Yeah. And my brother drove my car from Nigeria to here. So I have Nigerian plates. And everyone says to me, change your plates, change your plates. <laughs> you get stopped by the police. And, you know, they're harassing you because they think you're, well, they don't think I'm Nigerian. They know. They I'm know. <laughs> they know you're Nigerian. And they just equate being Nigerian with troublemaking, you have money. There's so many different connotations with a Nigerian persona. So I work with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That to help right. them meet someone nice that they can say is Nigerian and maybe they'll change their perception. But um, I I still drive around with it. I've had the car three years now and I'm not going to change it. Yeah, why not? Why not, right? I mean, you're Nigerian, and so it is each of our responsibility to be our own ambassadors. So, yeah, I like that. But when you talk about here, I talk about what made me live in the different areas. When I left East Bagon, it was then about I want to buy. Mm. I'm ready to buy. Mm -hmm. I have learned the tricks. I have paid my dues in terms of rent, rent, rent. And I never rented in the UK. Mm. I always had my home mm-hmm. and in fact when I was old enough to earn I owned my, my first house at 21 with my best friend wow I rented up until that point but I really didn't like paying money that was going down the drain mm-hmm. so I always wanted to have someone my original idea was to stay in Tesla with my friend and save up enough to build a house because that's what people did but yeah. then I was getting all these horror stories about land issues and architects who show you designs of other people's homes and have never put a stone block together in their life who take your deposit and run away. But then I was seeing these beautiful homes and thinking, well, it can't be all bad. I'm just going to find the beautiful home. I'm just going to find the builder and the architects that 
work for me. Sure. So Clifton Homes were one of them, and I lived in Clifton Homes for two years in East Bagon, but they weren't building where I wanted to be because I'd, I'd had enough of city life. I now wanted to be out in the sticks. I understand. So I yeah, and it's I wanted peace and quiet. I wanted it to be that you called me, that you were coming because you were scared I wouldn't be there because you've got too far to go. You just, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. coming to eat. I'm like, I'm going to sleep. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, <laughs> or, you know, I've got other people here. Do you mind? You know, you could have called. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of that. And I have lovely friends here. I actually have a family of friends here. So I've got friends all over the place. And I was walking up the Aburi Mountains, not often, once in a while. Then I played netball at the university campus with some of these wonderful young girls. And there was lots of talk around where would I buy, where would I buy? And West Lagon was really nice. East Lagon was nice, but the pricing was not my taste. Sure. And I was not going to overpay Mm-hmm. Because I could easily buy in the UK. Mm-hmm. The interest rate in the UK is one point something percent. Mm-hmm. You exactly. know, here yeah. is like thirty-five percent. Exactly. The map. Yeah, exactly. So it's like of my hard-earned money, where would I like it to go? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I knew that I'll be going backwards and forwards to the UK. So I thought, okay, I'll have somewhere in the UK, but I'll also have somewhere here. So I did opt for an apartment, which I've just moved into, mm-hmm. but I had to wait for it because it was off plan. And I lived in rented accommodation for two years, but that was because of COVID, because it was meant to be done in a year. And I oh, right. And it right. would take a year. So we all had to do a little bit of pivoting and readjusting for COVID. Yeah. But it was really interesting, the process, because I'd heard so many of the stories and I didn't want mine to be a bad story. I wanted to welcome people to Ghana mm. and encourage people to come to Ghana. Mm-hmm. And I'd spoken to my friends, you buying there, oh, are you scared? Like I'm more scared to buy in the UK, to be honest. Mm, <laughs> so, right, can, yeah. You, know, you can be ripped off, but you can take them to court. If you get ripped off in Ghana, you've lost your money because yeah, you know, who's already got his cart, and then, you know, it's a longer process. And yeah. I have horror stories of people being in court for 20 years. I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my oh, hand. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, really? maybe not 20 but yeah, I think one project is going on 10 and someone is just now coming to take us to court on something that they have no claim to, but this is the way it works. So it's really, and the lawyers hear how they charge, you know, it's just like, oh, it says I can charge this from the law society. I'm like, yeah, but what are you actually doing? What is your service? Oh, no, it's just. I've, I've been fortunate though. Our attorney is like our family attorney, so he's not charging craziness so yeah for okay. these long term yeah, yeah, yeah. Charging to be. I've got yeah she's amazing she's part of my network and she is just amazing yeah. um, and she's made the legal side sound so much easier and so much uh, clearer exactly uh, and she challenges where she needs to challenge and she charges the right fees that fit my purse right reasonable um, yeah. 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 So yeah. when I went through all of that to decide, I knew that I'd have to pay a certain amount of money. I'm Nigerian. We don't want mortgage, to be honest, or should mm-hmm. But that means sacrifice. Mm, okay. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're not going to get it. We just had COVID, for goodness sake. Some of the sacrifice meant I had to then take some of my savings to live on, basically, mm-hmm. because COVID made me pivot again. But these are the stories of your life as you move through. You know, you have to have your rainy day money. You yeah. have to be prepared. 
you have to make the sacrifices when you say you want something that's different to the norm. You're going to get them, but you're going to work hard for it or you're going to have to sacrifice for it. Right. Either way, something's got to give. So I was lucky enough to have a decent deposit, lucky enough to be able to, in the two years it took to complete, that I completed, and I now live in a really nice community and that has over 200 homes and really nice network of women. And the guys have their little network as well. We all live <laughs> together in our compound and looking after each other because we've gone through COVID and a lot of people are with their families. Right. Their friends. Right. Yeah. They can't go anywhere. So we are what we've got. I'm lucky enough to have a good set of friends as well, but it's like the social distancing. Exactly. Going to your yeah. Right. Doing things to protect your friends and family. But I haven't left the country for a year, exactly this month. I oh, wow. To, I went to my favorite uncle's funeral in Nigeria, and that was my last trip. Mm-hmm. And COVID had just started then. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm going to be with my family. If this new thing gets me, it gets me. You know, right. yeah. I'm, like, I'm not part of a family, so I'm going. And that was the last trip I took. I was there for a week, came back, did my two weeks isolation. And then we were on lockdown for three weeks. <laughs> right. So you got back. So interestingly, last year, this time I was in Nigeria as well. I was at social media week Lagos, okay. and, you know, doing interviews, part of my last in-person abroad interviews. And I got back two days later, the borders closed. I, <gasps> literally, I went wow. from, I went from Lagos, wow. came to Ghana for a day. Then I went to London and I was there for almost two weeks. And mid-March, you know, I think I got back the 13th of March. And by the first case was on the 12th. And by the 15th, I think our borders closed. So, yeah. Ghana was very good. I really did take my hat to Ghana because London took a long time to close the borders. Yes. And then Mm -hmm. there's still, we were doing testing at the airport and everything so early on. I really felt safer here. I did too. I really did. And I'm natural vitamin D. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. Is that, and that's that's, vitamin D from the you know, I wasn't going to buy it over no counter. <laughs> you know, right, exactly, exactly. So speaking <laughs> of like being here for so long, this is where I ask my local speak questions. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask my guests to share a word, phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as local speak. Okay. When I'm in the UK, I feel young and vibrant. Here in Ghana, they say, oh, mommy, oh, mommy, oh, mommy. Oh, yes. Mommy, am I? (laughs) I don't have children. I'm no one's mom. I'm a god mommy. I'm an auntie. I'm a great aunt. But I'm like, mommy, the first time I heard it, I was like, do I look old? (laughs) (laughs) And yes, I am older. I'm 54. But I don't feel it yeah um, I'm just 54 by the way I will okay. be 55 in December but okay. it's like later on in the year but I feel young and vibrant when they say sure. to me, oh mommy oh mommy they just say it it's like you don't even know how old I am you're just calling me mommy and I think I look young you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm not a typical 54-year-old because I love working with young people. Mm -hmm. Keep me young. They tell me all the new things that are going on, et cetera, et cetera. And you're as young as the people you surround yourself with. So a lot of the people that are here are younger than me. And then I have a lovely group of people who are much older than me, who Mm -hmm. I go to for support and advice and bouts and ideas who have been in Ghana, have been through the diaspora journey and have been here for 20, 30 years who tell me things I can't possibly hear from the younger generation. Mm-hmm. But I know that I get some from both sides. I feel like I'm in the middle ground and I go here to get this type of advice and stuff. And then I go there to get to keep up with what's mm-hmm. trendy and what's going on. But I also recognise that I learn a lot of wisdom from my older friends and older family members. Mm-hmm. And I ask a lot of questions to get some of those stories. But mummy, I'm like, I have a mummy and I'm not a mummy. So that one, that's the one. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because I see myself as a sister. I don't see myself as a mummy. I see myself as a sister to my clients. I see right. myself as a sister to my family. Right. I see myself as a sister to my younger friends. I see myself as a sister to my old friends. Not mummy. Yeah. Not but they call me that. I'm like, oh. I know it works for you. It doesn't work for me. But you've given me that. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that? I can't shake it off. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's an interesting one. Because yeah, I hear it sometimes. And I often wonder if it's... But not said to you. Not said to you. People don't say it to you. Um, the only person that says it to me is my mechanic. And so... And he's airway. So I was thinking maybe it's an airway thing. So maybe it's airway said to But yeah, okay. so, my, so my mechanic is the only person that I hear it from. But I think he says it more the same way he might say daddy, right? So instead of uncle or auntie, he's saying that as a, you know, we, so we madame have these. or sir. Yeah, and madame is okay. Sure. Mummy. Sure. Mommy. So, so I think it's, it is that it's less formal. So he's become an integral part of my life, right? Your mechanic here in these parts becomes like, when you get a good one, he's like one of your circle. <laughs> so that's how I, 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 have a that's how I took it. Where is your place? Where is your in, place? In North Jorulu, just right behind Fiesta Royale. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My one's in East Lagon and I'm going to help him develop his business further because he's a good mechanic. Good. He's got customer service down to 18 Good. And he is he and he's training female mechanics as well? Nice. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he's like, yeah, she just wants to learn and they won't teach her in school. So she comes here. I'm like, wow. wow. That yeah. is so impressive. And yes, I want I'm to know more because yeah. I like that. I really do. Yeah. And you know, I, I just, really I wish for that sector because my uncles would call them trial and error mechanics, right? So, and it's part of the culture here is, is no one wants to be thought of or seen as not knowing what it is that they do because everyone, oh. it's the bravado of, I know how to do what this is. And yes. they may not. You're so going to just ruin my car. You might kill me. You right, know? right. Exactly. Exactly. But that you say that you want to help him with his business. What I can see and envision is that you are helping him to professionalize and to understand when to accept and communicate the limitations. So that I always have to tell them, just be honest with me and then we can problem solve together. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not that foreigner. And again, it's part of the accent, right? So they may be a little bit more conversant mm-hmm. with someone who speaks the same language. So I just have to go in knowing and letting them know, please talk to me. Don't just go and do mm-hmm. so we can problem solve. So kudos to you. I want to see... And I'll grow business that way too, because if we can professionalize that profession, because our cars are so much a part of our lives, we just got to keep them running. <laughs> like to the extent that so many people have two cars, just for the mere fact that one goes wrong, they have to come to another one. So 
Yeah. And it's no use just complaining about things. Be part of the solution. Yes. Someone is good, inherently good, and yeah. you can help them. Yeah. It's not just about money. It's about sending people their way. It's about telling right. people about them. It's about saying you need X done and making sure they're the ones who do it. It's not out of my way where he is, but he can come to my house to pick up my car and bring it back to my house. That type of service. Yeah. And he sits you in a waiting room that's got DSTV. And you almost forget that you're oh. there doing your car because you can oh. work. And you oh. stuff while you're waiting for to be done. Yeah. Oh, oh you're fancy. Yeah, and the person who recommended him to me, I said, why didn't you tell me about him before? I said, oh, he's my guy. You know, but you never told me you needed anything with your car. So if I have a car, just tell me you've got a good mechanic. Yes. <laughs> you know? Oh, he's fancy. Okay. That solves yeah. a whole problem. And he doesn't charge too much. And he goes out of his way to get you what you need. So he'll say, I can't get this today, but I'll get it for you. So you can either leave the car here or you can take go it. Go and come. I would like you to go. It's safe for you to drive. And I will come and I will do it at your place or I'll come and get the car at another time. I'm like, okay. Okay. I like it. I like, it. you know, I think we're going to have to put his name in the show notes too, you know? So we have some good show notes for those people who are listening in Accra. Lovely, and lovely, of course. Yeah. I've recommended him to a few people already. He said, oh, madame, he actually calls you madame, not uh, mommy. <laughs> madame, you give me more people than your friend who gave me you. I'm like, oh, well, what can I say? That's mm-hmm. me. And they call me the connect winner because I love connecting people together. Sure. I really, really do. I think it's everyone's goal in life to just, if you see something and you know that someone can do something, just put them together because they don't know each other. Yeah, Put them exactly. together so that thing can get done. Exactly. You know, rather than left as an unfulfilled something. It doesn't cost anything. Exactly, exactly. There is the saying that I've introduced you, so I get a 10% fee. That's fine if there is something there. But if you can just genuinely be putting two people together, like you within a mechanic, you've got a really good one. But this one might be an an extra one, just in case something's happened. Exactly, exactly. So you've got someone already waiting. And if his work is better than the other one, then the other one has to do better to keep you Exactly, exactly. That's basically it's making them more professional. Better. Exactly. Competition. But I feel that he might just say, oh, madame, it's okay, go. Because he doesn't want to raise his standards. Right. Or just can't, you know, and that's that's part of the challenge. And that's a training thing, you know, or it's an investment thing. Right. But either way, I would never give anyone money. I would rather give them my time and some skills and direct them to where they can get what they need. But Mm -hmm. if you need money, I'll direct you to where the money is. And you've got to prove, and all the things are in place to help you prove that you're going to spend that money on what you said you're going to spend it on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than it be mine Mm -hmm. rather than be mine and then I want to kill you (laughs) well it's true it's true so it's interesting you bring that up because I wanted to ask in the context of your work either as a mentor or in just generally working with businesses how do you measure impact that's a really good one because I can't say that I've seen everyone and they're successful Mm-hmm. What I can say is if an entrepreneur comes to me and decides not to be an entrepreneur because of something they're recognizing themselves that's not going to fulfill what they want to do, that's just as impactful because someone's found their purpose and they might then find something they would never have found had they not tried. Mm-hmm. So impact for me is about we're all here for a purpose. We're all here for a reason. And as soon as you get to that reason, the better it is for your life. That's an impact measurement for me. When I work with clients and they say, 
oh gosh, I've not had mentoring before. And I really thought it was going to be really hard. I was going to have to do all my homework and get all this stuff to you. But it's about talking to you and talking through my fears, talking through my challenges, talking through my successes and talking through my business. Does it make sense? And not because business people don't have business people to talk to. They have people from different industries and different stuff telling you their story. And it's about, can you listen to my story and listen to how I'm struggling with what I'm doing? I don't want to know what you did. I just want you to listen to mm-hmm. When you're listened to, then you can, through talking, you can see what you're doing wrong yourself or what you need more clearly. It's more time consuming, but it's a better outcome. And I don't mm-hmm. want numbers. I want quality of service. Mm-hmm. So I like projects that have, four or five people that I'm responsible for that could be for six months it could be for a year and then in that time they have got access to their finance they've improved their business processes they've employed more people they've looked in a different direction they've pivoted which a lot have done in this COVID new normal and see the joy of knowing when a challenge comes that they can take a step back think it through brainstorm and get back on the journey because it's not going to be full of ups or just downs. It's going to be a combination of both. And you have to know how to do it. It's like parenting. You just mm. know it's a long journey, but along the way, you've had some wins, you've had some losses, you've had some side knocks. But at the same time, you've developed a whole human being who can mm-hmm. take those knocks and actually deliver better on their life because of those knocks. Got it. And that's a better impact story for me, that someone just knows what to do when something goes wrong. Okay, put their head in the sand for five minutes, go there, get angry, get frustrated, come up, right, what are we going to do about it? That resilience and more resilient people. You, I think Ghana, it's about doing the work. You're not just going to get the money. You need to prove it. You need to prove that your processes deserve to have this injection of capital to help you continue to grow and develop because we all want to make a profit. But at the time you're not making a profit, what are you doing? Are you refining your idea? Are you refining yourself? Are you retraining yourself? Are you bringing on board into your business someone that can do that particular area? Because you might not be the best marketer. You might not be the best person to talk about your business. Someone Mm -hmm. else might be. You obviously came up with the idea, but you're terrible at presentations. You're not going to get funded. Right. If you keep being terrible at presentations, yeah. so you either get better at presentations or you get someone who can do the presentations. And you can be there so that when they need that motive thing about where the idea came from, you can be for that bit. Yeah. That is what it is. Yeah. Good. I like that. I like that in the context of knowing and looking at the impact as you described it. Let's talk about mindset. And so this is where I ask my mindset hack question. What is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? And this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of. So what I do, I wake up early. I just Mm. can't help it. I Mm -hmm. wake up early. And Mm -hmm. the first thing I do, which I've only been doing for the last year, is just being grateful that I actually woke up. My Mm. gratitude, Mm -hmm. attitude, I call it. So I, I then reel off all the things I'm thankful and grateful for and the people that I'm grateful for. And then I go about looking at my WhatsApp messages and send out some affirmations to some key people. Mm. And then that helps me to start my day. And then I try and look, especially during this COVID period, I try and look at the people I haven't heard from. And then I just send them a little, I haven't heard from you, just making sure you're okay. 
Oh, that's nice. That's lovely. And then I can start my day because it's clients as well as friends and family. Sure. Sure. So it's just, I may have a client who I no no longer work with. Yeah. But I had a a good connection with and I haven't heard from them. I haven't got an update for them. And what it does to them, because when they send that that something back and says, I was just thinking about you or I really needed to hear from you today. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for that. It makes my day. Yeah. I impacted their day positively. Sure. Because it's just that first thing I do in the morning. And even if there's friends or I haven't heard from for a little while, because we're all going through our new normal, mm-hmm. I just send it out. They don't even have to read it. I don't even have to have a response. But when they do respond, it's something that is good for me. So I'm not chasing them to respond to me, but I have sent it out there with love and with Yes, the energy. Love. Yeah, yeah. And that's what counts. Yeah. yeah. And that sets me up because I can then have my hot chocolate, which I have in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I'll follow by hot water with lemon. And then I'll have something to eat. And I work from home. So I like my routine. But I go into the office a couple of days a week. But I, I just like my routine. But I close my routine around 8.20 when the sun is just going down behind the mountains. And oh, that's when I say, okay. right, now log off. Now stopping that now I'm into the next phase of my life nice work is over now (laughs) nice nice I like that I like that so that's great Um, I have my morning and my evening sort of then my beginning of my day my end of of the day routine got it got it so you get a sunrise affirmations and sunset mellow mood yeah that's exactly it Flo yes yeah nice nice nice. so Tori I know it's been we have spent a lot of time together and I don't want to take overstay my time welcome so i just want to oh, ask you one don't have to drink i know i know yes <laughs> indeed so i want to ask you one last question or thought because we're doing this and it's going to be women's history month probably right yeah. around international women's day and i know you do a lot for yep. women and girls so i want to ask you about leadership and women where do you see the next powerful effective and just interesting, thoughtful leaders coming out of Ghana, out of Nigeria. Where do you see them coming from? Lovely question. Because I work with some amazing women's entrepreneurship, their ambassadors across mm-hmm. the globe. Mm-hmm. But mostly the ones I interact with are my African sisters, of which mm-hmm. I have about 40 of them. Mm-hmm. And in their own right, they're all doing amazing things. And we have a board meeting tomorrow. And I'm just so excited just to find out what they're all getting up to and how I can support them and what they can do to support me because that's the environment. And I think we should just have sistership circles because there are leaders everywhere. There are some fantastic Mm -hmm. women in rural Ghana doing amazing things. And we just don't hear those stories. Got it. So I don't think Mm -hmm. anyone's in some lofty position somewhere. I think they're in our everyday behaviours, in our everyday ways to make our lives better and COVID has played an enormous role in people getting off those high horses and getting down to treating people with respect mm. treating people nicely kindly mm. and being who they want their children to see the children mm. their children are now not going to school every day seeing the teacher mm. it's you mm. and they're going to see you every day who are you mommy right. yes right right are you being a good role model to your child the first person they see, the first time when they leave the house, is you they're leaving behind. And do they give that teacher more respect than they do you? 
those little things. And it's a lovely question because they're everywhere. When people talk to me about role models, it's like who's in your life that you actually touch? Because mm-hmm. Beyonce is not coming to you anytime soon, you know? Yes, <laughs> and, indeed. You know, indeed. Amanda, as much as I love her and people, Chiamanda Dichi, and a lot of people know her. I've met her a few times. She can be inspirational, but I don't know her. You know, I know my aunt who's 83 years old and I adore her and I send her messages every day. That is my, you know, that someone is in my life that I can touch and feel who knows me and loves me for me. That's my role model. It's not that we don't have leaders. We've always been leaders. We don't need a title of leaders. Mm -hmm. Mm. We're there. We're just doing what we do, bringing up households, bringing up the business side of things, bringing up the community and making sure that our influence as females, what we bring to the table is a unique set of skills that men don't have. They bring their unique set of skills, but together when you connect them, you make better skills. So Mm -hmm. it's being recognized as a woman leader, being recognized by the male leaders and getting the job done. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. (laughs) That's all I see. And I've had this question not quite the way you've said it, but in so many different ways. And I go back to who do you know? If you think your doctor or your dentist is your role model, at least you know them. And you can aspire to be a dentist or doctor if you're seven, eight years old. And, sure. you know, they make you feel good because they offer you candy and all that stuff if you behave yourself. And they've got an eight foot, um, a white coat on and you like that. And you're going to study hard to become a dentist or a doctor. Then do that because mm-hmm. someone you know. Someone you can touch and feel had that job. Right, right, right. So that's the importance of being sure to be visible and present and give back, yeah. kind of like what you do. I yeah. love that. So Toy and any that was a great last word. So if you want to leave it there, that's perfectly fine. But any final last words for our listeners before we sign off? My final last word is to just be that person in your community. If you just speak to one person and impact their life, you know, mm-hmm. because it's better than no people. Right. Each one, teach one. Each one, teach one. So that one thing that you've done is that ripple can be a whole wave. Yeah. It can be an avalanche. But it starts with the first step. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So all of Toyin's information will be in the show notes. But Toyin, if you want to give us any information about where to find you, what you're working on, please do go ahead. Lovely. So you can find me on Facebook under my name, Toy and Dania. You can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Toy and Dania. I also am on Twitter, Toyin28. And they're the main handles I use. And the DigiLogic project that I'm on is on my Facebook as well as on my LinkedIn. So you're going to find those details. But as Ron said, there will be specific information on the show notes. Wonderful, Thank wonderful, you. wonderful. Thank you, Toyin. Until next next time. So listeners, this has been another episode of Global Citizens. You can catch us with a new episode every Tuesday at www.localcitizenspod.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please do share, like, subscribe, tell somebody, recommend a guest. We love to hear from you. So until next time, Bye for now.